1: the latest episode in the Wolves Fancast series, Stories from the Pack. Um, At the start of every um, episode, I want to take the opportunity to thank everybody who continues to support the podcast, be it the regular podcast we put out by the Fancast or the individual series that we put out and obviously in particular Stories from the Pack. So a big thank you. If you enjoy what we do, we'd love your support either by listening, sharing online or if you'd like to leave us a five-star review as well. Now, in terms of uh, the episode we're going to cover today, I'm delighted to join, be joined by someone who's part of the, the Wolves Fancast family, has written for us over the years, um, but he's principally um, a musician uh, who's about to launch his brand new single. So we're going to cover that today, and we're going to cover his story with Walls and kind of how those two loves Walls and football come together and the gentleman I'm going to introduce you to now is Sam Lambeth.
0: Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to come on. Like I say, I've been listening and reading the Walls Fancast stuff for a number of years now, and like like I said to you before we started, before we hit record, just the sheer calibre of guests you've had on on this series. That you know, you had Steve Marshall, Daz Hale, Joe Edwards. Like I say, these people are like celebs in my house. You know, I, I worship these people. So, you know, obviously you've got a slow week this week, which you brought me in. <laughs> no, no. And and I think to, to, to that point, you
1: know, I, I, I believe that everybody has a story. And I think your story is, is very interesting. And everyone has a, a different one to tell. But, yeah, it has been a bit surreal, actually, because I'm someone who, I love radio, and that's probably why I do this. Um, so when I've had people on, like Daz Hale, who's kind of like a radio hero for me, and people like Johnny Phillips and stuff, it is a little bit mad, I, I must admit. But I think what everybody has in connection, be it a higher up profile than others or not, and there'll be people from different backgrounds, and, and um, they've all got the one thing in common, They ultimately it's walls that brings everybody together and they've all got their own stories to tell as well so you no know, you're very welcome and i know um I, I was keen to get you on for a number of reasons which will become apparent when we go for the record because now know you've got some fantastic stories to tell um we're going to start with the current so and really just kind of a little get to know you for those who, who aren't familiar with yourself sam so um you can pick up the story, but as I understand it in terms of um, from the music side, you've been in a number of bands for a number of years, and I think you were telling me really in terms of your music today, date, you've kind of been in and out of music, and you've kind of felt as if maybe I've gone as far as I'd like to, and then you've you've come back recently, haven't you? And, and part of that is is with the launch of your new single. So tell us a little bit about your background in, in music, first of all. Yeah,
0: sure. Sure. Um... I started in my first band over 10 years ago, and it was a band called The Mono Bloggers. Now, basically, this was because I was writing blogs on Myspace, uh, which gives you an insight into just how popular I was as a teenager. and uh, uh, Myspace. <laughs> 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 I love my I still think it was the best social media I do. Absolutely. But I'll drum a Mono Bro, and then our guitarist said, oh, let's call ourselves The Monobloggers. Um, so, yeah, we did quite well. Uh, released a couple of records. Uh, you know, played some gigs all over, supported some good bands. Like I say, surpassed our expectations. Uh, Sadly, that fell by the wayside after a couple of years. Um, Then I formed another band called Quinn, slightly different sound. And and again, we did did well. We did more than I expected. got played on Radio 1, did a UK tour, again, supported some really good bands. Um, Then, again, inevitably, that came to an end. couple of years ago. And then, you know, I kind of dillied and dallied in a few different bands, tried to get stuff off the ground and it just wasn't happening. I mean, I spent four or five months trying to get a band together. And then when I eventually got one after a month, the drummer left. So I just felt totally defeated and gutted about it. I just thought, you know what, maybe it's time to have a breather. And then last summer in 2019, it had been 10 years uh, since i formed the first band, and I thought hey, it'd be nice to try and do something because obviously, the downside is when you've been in so many different bands. I mean, I mean I've had more bands than Darren Day's at Marriages, so you know, <laughs> it's just, it, 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 it's it, well, probably I've had more bands than Leon Clark's at Football Clubs. I think that's probably <laughs> the best way to say. Um, so, obviously, you, you kind of, it's confusing, I think, for the listener because, like, you know, for example, I'd be at work and someone would say, Oh, I've heard you make music. Uh, send me some of your links, send me some of your music, and then you send them to one band, and you say, oh, listen to this song by this other band. And it was just a nightmare. You know, you're kind of diluting it every time. So I thought it'd be nice to go on stage and just be able to play the best cuts from each of the bands. Because obviously you can't do that when you form a new band. You write new songs, you discard all the old stuff. So um, last summer, like I say, I I did a gig, um, and it was kind of a a 10-year... Anniversary, we did it all for charity, so it all went to Teenage Cancer Trust. Um, and yeah, I played some of the best songs from the first band, the second band, all the different bands in between. Had a few musical guests come on who had played within these different bands, and then I created a, a Spotify album which I called a best of you know, tongue firmly in cheek, you know, um, just against so I could have the music all in one, one place. And at the time, that was very much, I thought, that's the end for me now. I've tried now for 10 years. And, you know, you you have your ups and downs with it. You know, like I say, I was really chuffed with everything I achieved. But at the same time, as I was getting older, it was just getting more and more difficult to find the time, find the money, and and get people to come and listen and watch. And I think with social media and Spotify and things, it just gets even harder, you know, because... People's attention spans these days, you know, are so short. So you're trying to get people on board, you know, and it just gets difficult. So I I, I kind of felt a bit burnt out and I thought maybe it's the right time. And then obviously, um, I just couldn't stop writing songs still. So, you know, I'd be in my bedroom writing away. But it was different this time because I didn't have a band and I didn't have any gigs booked or anything like that. I was just kind of tinkering away at these songs, you know, I'd put them to one side, then I'd, you know, change a few lyrics or change the melody. And it it was a really different process for me because I was so used to being a bit of a, being on a factory line in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. get a song, take it to the, the, the guys, flesh it out, play it, boom, boom, record, done this time it was so much more different i was actually taking my time i was crafting them you know i was thinking oh a bit of keyboard sound good on this or a bit of mandolin so i was thinking more long term because there was just no deadline and then before i knew it i had uh, six or seven songs that kind of had a similar style similar theme and i was really happy with them because i thought you know these sound really fleshed out to me now and then um, I was like, well, you know what? I think maybe I should hit, get back in the studio and um, and record a new record. And this time, do it under my own name. Um, and then this was towards the start of lockdown, actually. So this was around March, April time. And then it was like, well, that's all well and good. But where am I going to find the money from? Because obviously recording isn't cheap. Um, but I And I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to spend my own money on it. I thought I could easily save some money and then spend it all on recording but you know I'm trying to save to move out of my of the current house I'm in and I thought well I can't really blow you know a lot of money on this recording because it just, it just seemed silly so I said you know what I'm going to go out and I'm going to earn this money um, so I did uh, I took up some freelance work um, over a, a few months and that bought a bit of money in. Uh, I sold loads of stuff on eBay. I mean loads of stuff. Uh, really randomly the stuff that was going on eBay was my old Wolves tops, which I I didn't really think would sell. I mean No, we're not, no
1: they do, yeah.
0: Yeah, it surprised me I wasn't even there weren't even your vintage Goodyear ones or anything like that. You know, <laughs> we're talking we're talking the one with silver bug on the front and uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I mean they didn't fit me anymore anyway. But they were going and I mean even like the Wolves training tops some years ago, you know mm. They were just playing. They didn't even have the sponsor, I'm just playing. They were going, um, so I sold a of stuff on eBay, sold a guitar on eBay, stuff like that. Um, and then I did some shifts on a, on a building site as well. Uh, I'm not sure how happy they were to have me around, but you know, I, uh, I should say a big thanks to my mate Cal, actually, because he was the one that got me, uh, got me on there. So on a Saturday, I'd get up at seven and go and spend the day there. Um, so, and then in the end, after a few months, I, I had the money together. And then I went and um, went back into the record, went into the recording studio uh, with a chap called Ryan Pinson, uh, who was a Wolves fan, and also um, the guys that have done that Wolf CD, uh, I can't remember what they're called, they playing the, Wolf the Terry... Paco-less. The Wolfpack Howlers. The Wolfpack he yeah. produced that. Right, uh, yeah. Because I was in the studio with him, and I, he was saving something, and I looked at his files, and I saw Nuno had a dream on one of his files, and so <laughs> And he said, you know, I heard about these guys. And I think his mates are one of them. So, yeah, he he produced that record. Um, so, yeah, cut the songs over two weeks. Ex- exhausting it was, because I've never done it on my own before. Mm-hmm. I've always had a band with me. And, you've, you know, it used to be that, that, you know, the bass player would go and do his bit, the drum would do his bit. Then I'd go up and do the guitar and the singing. But this time I was kind of doing everything. So it was just from... From nine to five, which doesn't seem that long, I know, but it's just constant on it, recording, tinkering, writing, doing retakes, that kind of thing. So it was a really exhausting process, but then, but once I got the results back, I was, I was really chuffed. And then, uh, so, yeah, the first single's coming out. Well, it'll be out when this comes out. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited, to be fair. And, uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a different vibe for me. It's kind of, uh, I mean, I'm loathe to say this because obviously they're they're so legendary but you know people like bruce springsteen bob dylan tom petty this kind of americana southern rock kind of folky Mm. sound so it's 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 quite mature quite acoustic based for me Uh, so it's a real different direction which is how i wanted it to be you know i wanted it to be a bit different from what i'd done before less emphasis on just guitar rock you know trying to flesh it out with mandolin and piano and stuff like that so yeah um that's kind of a, probably a long-winded uh, no, recap. There. And, and I, but, yeah. I think, I think. Sorry, Sam. I think what what it shows
1: though is you know um, what we'll be doing on the the audio version of this. So I don't know what format you'll be listening to us on out there because we're on YouTube. If you have seen us visually, but we'll put the links to the single that's some reference there. But we'll be playing out this um, audio podcast with with the single and i think what you'll pick up on on it is the sam reference for what it's worth for me as just a fan of music rather than minute critique is is a real personal um tender and emotive and you know careful and considered song and it is it's a fantastic song and there's a number of songs from sam on his spotify which is available and again we'll put those links out there for people but i think it's interesting when you listen now and you talk about your story because it's very self-made in terms of you know these are difficult times and you're kind of your own boss and you've gone okay well I still believe in this and I've done my groundwork I've been in different bands as you say you've honed your craft you like this and maybe this is the direction I'll go in but to get to that point then I need to facilitate that by I need to put the put the graft in get the money bit on a building site or so forth and and it shows that it, it, it means something at the end of it, you'll have something that's personal to you that you can share. So it's great to kind of get that. And I guess at this this difficult time, if people have listened to the podcast um, at this point with, with Pogman, for example, who's another musician, I do feel for people in the industry at the moment, but also I think, well, if you flip it up re- in reverse, there's, there's opportunities now that are created in this time where you're afforded perhaps a little bit more time to, to hone your craft and, and perfect it but you know i remember i don't know you've probably played some of these venues locally there was a point um i probably got about 10 years ago locally in walls where you go and see a band at the varsity you go and see a band at the little civic you go and see the band at the Wolf. and i remember there was a wednesday night i was seeing a band upstairs in the varsity and if people know wolverhampton many obviously will listen to this but if you don't we're in such a small area there was there was lots of bands and lots of music going on and Obviously, we're time-sensitive, but we're recording this in the midst of a local lockdown and so forth. And it's a difficult time, but it's good to know that people are still out there grafting and still, you know, taking that opportunity to to follow your dream, essentially. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, like you say... Uh, ten years ago, I, I mean, maybe this is controversial, but I thought Wolverhampton, the music scene, the venues was better than Birmingham. I mean, yeah. we were never short of gigs, and like mm. you say, we had the Varsity, that upper room, which was yeah. like a dungeon, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a great little space. Like you say, you had that, you had the little Civic, which mm. was like a rite of passage to play that venue. You know, mm. that was the that was the venue you wanted to play when you just formed a band because it had so much history. Uh, and then also you had the Slade Rooms, um, yeah. which came afterwards. The Civic Bar was great as well. Um, yes. I was really lucky because I got to play, like I said, I got to play the Wolf I got to play the Civic, Slade Rooms, Varsity. Um, we did a residency at the Prince Albert, oh, uh, oddly. Yeah. Uh, I, I always remember that one, that we did that gig there. And uh, we were selling CDs afterwards. And um, this is how long ago it was, you know. We, yeah. <laughs> people still <selling laughs> had CDs. And this one guy, he was like, Oh, I love your band, love the songs. Um, I own a shop in Wolverhampton. I'll, um, I'll put, put your CD on all day. It'll be blasting there. You'll get loads of fans. And he was like, Oh, great, thanks. What shop do you own? And obviously, we we're hoping, obviously, a music shop. Is it, you know, W.H. Smith's or whatever? He was like, Oh, you know, I'd all pleasure zone. He was like, I own them. <laughs> no, I was like, Great. Someone's- when uh, when someone's in there when someone's in, in there purchasing some uh, flavoured items, they're gonna be hearing my voice over the top of that. That's brilliant. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my face is rocked.
1: <laughs> yeah. Support however yeah. you get it is appreciated, but it's just that you 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 may have I suppose then, Sam, if that music was going off, you could have been a part of some yeah
0: some some good nights for people out there in the Midlands without you know,
1: actually.
0: Yeah. I can't I can't imagine uh, my music would uh suit to that particular genre. No, no, no. Um but no, fantastic.
1: Um I mean we'll we'll circle back to the music because we will see in a moment um how how it's uh, Intrinsically linked, actually, to to your football story. So, in terms of you, you that's the now. Um, if we take it back to the beginning for yourself, on, on a football level and a, a Wolves level, of course. When did it start for you? When When was your first memories as as a fan, and and what what got you into Wolves?
0: I mean. Everyone in my family is a Wolves fan. Um, so there was no escape. I mean, it was ingrained in me from the start. It was, it's like a religion, isn't it? It's like a religion. Yeah. And I think I can describe it. Um, so I, I grew up in like a football household. My brother and my granddad uh, and my dad actually were season ticket holders. I think my mom went to games as well. Um, so everyone was a really big Wolves fans. And I was a massive football fan from for as long as I can remember. I mean, I was... I was obsessed, like, uh, you know, I'd I'd get up on a Saturday morning and watch um, that show on Channel 4, the uh, Football Italia one. Yes. Um, Me and my brother would have to have separate FIFA games, even though we lived in the same house, because we'd be on it that much. I had LMA manager, you know, championship manager. I was, like I say, I used to watch all the games from random places, random leagues. Like I say, I was obsessed, and obviously I was a, a Wolves fan. Um I think when I um, went to high school, secondary school, that's then I, it kind of killed it off for me a little bit. So in year seven, I think in year seven was the year when Wolves were in the prem with Dave Jones. So, you know, I was, I, was, I remember like having the, um, the shirt and stuff like that. I think it was around year nine where I kind of started to drift out of football a little bit actually. Um, because I think when you go to secondary school, well, at my secondary school anyway, it was kind of like the hard lads were the ones that got picked to play football. Uh, I, you know, whether they were any good or not, because they were hard, you know, they were always the ones that played. And I was always one of them lads that was just last picked. I mean, nothing's changed now. I mean, when I play my mates, they the, you know, do five aside on the last pick. But back then it was like, you know what, if you weren't like one of the, the hard lads, you were persona non grata really. So, uh, you know, that kind of, me off a little bit because i wasn't playing because i wasn't really getting picked i was getting picked last and you know no i really thought i was any good and then just like little things at school i remember like when you had the panini stickers and things like that you know i remember sitting there one time with these two lads or again we know these hard lads and they were talking about footballers and they looked at me and they're like oh you ain't got a clue any of these are, have you and i was like i have i know all of them and there's like no you don't you know you ain't got a clue you know, I was just kind of brushed off as being like, I wouldn't say a nerd, but I wasn't smart enough to be a nerd. But I think I was kind of brushed off as being, you know, oh, you, know you know, he's a wimp, he's all that, you know, well, you know you know what it's like at school. Yeah. And I think then, and then the mates I had then as well just weren't into football. So I just, I just drifted out a bit for a few years. And to be honest with you, I didn't really get back into it until probably like early 2010. So probably halfway through uh, the prem season, with Mick McCarthy. Uh, that's when I kind of started then to get back into it. Now by this point, I'd left school, and like my brother was a season ticket holder still, so he was still going. But again, it didn't. He hadn't really. I don't know. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. Maybe it's like whiskey for me. I had to get a bit older to get fully into it. But it just, football just wasn't interesting me. I think I was just so into music at that point that there was just nothing else. But then I started playing football again with my mates. Um, just, you know, um, we did like a six society team and stuff like that. And obviously they were all serious football fans uh, and all of them Wolves supporters, apart from one who supports Wolves and Man United, which, you know, don't get me started on that.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but because they were so into it. I just naturally fell back into it again, and it, at this time it felt like this was it. You know what I mean? I thought I'm fully back on, fully back on board now, and this is uh, this is me for life. I'm fully, fully back into football again, and 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 then since then it's been the same again. Whereas you know, I'm just I love it. You know, um, uh, I think. But my first Wolves game uh, was surprisingly late. Then um, it wasn't until. Um, the 2012 2013 season. So really, that's quite late, considering. Oh, like I say, I was in a house full of Wolves fans. Um, but again, I think it was part financial and part just not losing that interest for a little bit. Uh, that I had I know I used to work weekends as well, which didn't help. But then I thought, you know, what? I'm going to go to a game. So my first game was the Aldershot. Um, and it was one of them Cups, I can not remember which Cup it was. But it was the day the North Bank opened or reopened. So we were sitting oh, in the North Bank.
1: Yes, yes, I think I remember
0: that, yeah. Yeah, and it was... So it was, I think it was Stalas Backen's first competitive game. Mm. Um, and obviously it was a drab. Well, I think it was like a drab 1-1 draw. and we kind of just edged it on penalties. So you can imagine, you know... You could forgive me if I thought I ain't coming here again. Because, mm. you know, it was two hours was was wasted, really. But then to make matters worse, um, when we left the ground and we went back to my car, my car had actually been broken into. Oh, God. So, you know, talk about insult to injury. But, I mean, I just remember walking down the street with my two friends, and they went, oh, Sam, someone smashed your window? And I was like, yeah, very funny. And then when I got closer, I was like, oh, God. Now, I I had a Nissan Micra. You know the kind Jay has on the in-betweeners? Yes. (laughs) I mean, it, it... Mine wasn't even red anymore. It kind of lobsterized a little bit. It, it started to turn a weird kind of pink color, which obviously didn't help my social life. But anyway, I'd I bought a new stereo for it because it, it had been my birthday a couple of weeks before. Uh, so, I mean, straight away, I'd made myself a target there. I'd made this rubbish car with like a gleaming brand new stereo system in it. But they'd smashed the passenger side door and they'd just taken the face. So, you know, you had the face before the stereo. But yeah. Just that. So that was really cruel because I had the yeah. stereo system still, but not the face of so the nickback. Oh Weirdly enough, they nicked one of my CDs, just one of them. <laughs> and then um, when I got home, um, I'd been to my nan's just before the game and my nan had given me some shopping to give to my mum. And my mum was like, can you just go and get the shopping? Um, so I went back out to try and, Findy and I was scrambling around thinking where's basically shopping and then I realised that they'd nicked that as well. Oh, so basically they'd stolen a CD, the face of my CD player and also, I, I don't know, a Warburton super toasty and some dairy <laughs> league. So all I can think of somewhere there was some, you know, some thieves that were sitting there enjoying a, a cheese sarnie listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> so yeah, I mean... As first experiences go of Wolves games, yeah, you know, you, I'm surprised I went back. <laughs> <laughs> that that's brilliant because I think you know
1: we we always talk about the first games and, and memories and, and and the backdrop and the sort of stories, you know, that that, that kind of yeah, um, good or bad or, or indifferent. So yeah, I guess so. It, and it's an interesting one though, something that you mentioned there because. You know, there's there's no one route into being a Wolves fan or, or a football fan. And, you know, to sound cheesy and corny, sometimes life gets in the way or circumstances get in the way or, or you know, friendship circles and so forth, you know, could come, in, come into play. So so for you then, you were a fan, your local family of, of Wolves fans, but you kind of, I guess, didn't have that opportunity where it kind of stuck. So, but... After that first game, were you still kind of, although it was a bad experience, you thinking, yeah, I'm kind of more full time a fan now? Or
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that season, because um, like I say, I'd started to get back into it again during mix premiership years. Mm. Um, but I remember really being into it. Um, ironically, the season went down. I don't know if it was just I had a little bit of excitement because it was new and different. And also we had Stella Solbacken in charge and we were bringing in all these, you know, new e- exotic players. I remember like seeing Siggy in thought, I'm going to grow my hair now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I was really excited. And um, um, like I said, I was, I was, uh, and my brother was the opposite because I think when we went down, he wasn't as bothered. Um, we, st- we still went to some games together, but he didn't renew his season ticket. But i went to 12 games that season i think home and away so every chance i could get, get to go i was going but i watched i think let's say i watched 12 games i didn't see a victory until the 12th time i went oh you no know, there, there was dogged persistence you know there for me um but yeah like i say i i, I, I think that season i, I just remember being because I say really excited and really into it, and I, I kept on going the next season as well. We went to Dental League One. Um, obviously, it gets I'm not a season ticket holder, so it's getting it gets hard, It's harder and harder. Obviously, I mean, I mean, before lockdown, it was it was really difficult to get tickets, yeah. but um, I do try and go whenever there's you know there's, there's still tickets available.
1: Brilliant. And and in terms of from you know the the McCarthy era to date, um, from a football perspective. Any particular highlights, sort of, t- today in terms of any 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 games that stick out
0: to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I could say um, there's games that stick out for good and bad reasons, isn't there? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I always remember that season when I really started going. The Nadia for me, which is ironic because we won, it was probably when we beat Bristol City, and obviously we had that. Calamitous back and forth between Davis and the Ke- KME. He obviously broke his hand at half time. Yes. But even yeah. though we won, I just remember feeling absolutely bereft afterwards because I just thought that was dreadful. Even though we won, I just remember thinking that was two League One teams playing each other, mm-hmm. which obviously <laughs> is what happened to both of them. And I thought, you know, we played dreadful and just about beat Bristol City, who obviously at the time were marooned at the oh, bottom no. of the table. And then I just thought, well, how are we going to get victories against anyone else if we're playing that bad? So that was a that was a, that was kind of one of the games that sticks out for me as, as a bad point. But I think in terms of the highlights, um, definitely uh, in League One, the six four victory against Rotherham. I mean, that was yeah. also incredible, wasn't it? I mean, that's kind of like that. In a way, that set a precedent for the premierships. Like now, <laughs> you yes. know, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're getting used to this now, but it was a novelty back then. I mean, that was amazing. The 4-0 victory against Gillingham as well, the, the first home game of League One, you know, where we was a bit nervous. Gillingham had been a bit of a bogey team in the past. Wow. Um, you know, we'd done it, we'd got a credible 0 nil against Preston, hadn't we, in that first game of that season. Yeah. But I think no one really knew what to expect. You know, Kenny Jackett had brought the youth in, which, which again was really exciting, I think, because I think we all knew that we had these players like Bath uh, Price, Doherty mm-hmm. and then also we—I mean—we had Macklin and Ishmael. I mean, at the time we thought they were going to—I mean, obviously they didn't yeah. quite live up to expectations, but we were excited by them as well. Um, but that was the first game, the first competitive game where you actually saw, you know, the potential and the caliber. And again, it was just such a relief to see a team scoring and a team that you know were playing for each other. So that was up there. But I, I would say one game that always sticks out to me was when we came up from the championship uh when we beat Bristol City two one. Mm-hmm. So I think that was around it was around Christmas time. It, it's it's kind of I think um like Steve Marshall kinda of mentioned it before how you kind of tether some of the Wolves moments, the kind of stuff that was going on in your own life at the time. Absolutely, yeah. And um for that game, um I was, in, I was working in London at the time. So I think I'd been in London about four or five months at that point. But I'd just come back for Christmas. And I hadn't really come back much up until that point. And, I, you know, I, I'm a bit of a home bird, So for me, not to come back for a few months was like, it felt like years. So I came back. And it, it was. It felt like when you break up for school, it was like, oh, you know, I'm back home, back with my mates. And I didn't even, I didn't even go to the game. But I watched it at the pub. I watched it at the Red Lion in Wentzfield with um, some of my mates. And I just remember, obviously we were 1-0 down, had a player sent off. And just those goals going in, I just, I mean, obviously I've been to a a fair few Wolves games now and the atmosphere when we score, obviously is just incredible. But um, I just remember, I think it's because we were in a closed space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would never happen now, Covid or not. You know what I mean? We were so cramped in. (laughs) But just when when that second goal went in, the winning goal, Honestly, I mean, there were tables flying over, chairs falling to the floor. People were hugging each other that they'd never met. Pints were being splashed all over the place. Just the the atmosphere was electric. And I remember, obviously, I'd just moved to a new city and, you know, I was still making friends, getting used to a new way of life. So I'd been feeling a bit, I wouldn't say down, but obviously it, was, it wasn't like being at home. And just that moment, just being with my mate's, going crazy watching the Wolves win and knowing at that point I think you know in your head you thought okay we're going the distance now we're going mm-hmm. to you know we're going to get we're going to get to the Prem again just just that moment was just amazing you know I just loved it but there's been so many great moments I mean I, I went to Braga me and my brother went to Braga um, and watched obviously watched Wolves there and again mm-hmm. like, like Rob like Steve Rob like Steve said just getting to see them in Europe I mean I, I like I say I haven't been a fan for as long as most Wolves fans, you know, but even I felt the gravity of it, you know mm. what I mean, you know. So yeah, I mean, let's let's face it. The past three years, you could there's so many moments you could pick. You know, it, it's these are the good times. <laughs> they,
1: they, they are the good times, and it's um yeah, and and just you know you you referencing there sort of being in, in the red line in Wentfield and sort of you know that atmosphere and. It just feels a world away. I, um, I don't know about you, but if like if I watch TV now, sort of pre-COVID, and I see people close together and stuff, it just freaks <laughs> me out. And it's weird because it's like, that's kind of what yeah. we have And I hate the cliche, new normal, but it's still, I find it a little bit uncomfortable. And yeah, and but, you know, this is kind of what I get over in, in this series. And this was timely because... We launched this series essentially um, just as we were going into lockdown because ultimately there was there was no football taking place. But what it's given us an opportunity is to, to reminisce. But hopefully it's not too nostalgic. And as I keep stressing that, when it's safe to do so, we'll have those moments being at the game or sharing them with friends and family, you know, um, and our locals as well so we can be part of it. But I think, yeah, it's... um. It's strange time, but yeah, that Bristol City game, you know, did stand out. And I think you're right to rack, um, to mention the jacket hero. I was going to say there because, um, you know, when wherever this club is going to go, and wherever and where we expect, and where the owners perhaps want it to go, that jacket start of it really for me was, you know, from that point on. If we would have spent longer in League One would Frozen have eventually been interested as in you know that you could even start the ball rolling there, really, in terms of a resurgence. Um, so a, a yeah, great, great
0: I mean, era. yeah, it's easy to forget, isn't it? Really, um, but yeah, he he laid the foundation because we were we were a club in free fall, weren't we? I mean, I think a lot's made of Sol and, and you know, he gets a lot of criticism, but for me, I blame the players, I'll be honest with you, I thought the players just didn't want to play for him. I remember, like like Steve Marshall said, again, I keep referencing him, I know, but I totally agree with him. I went to Peterborough and Ipswich that season and it he was heartbreaking. He was just like, what are these players doing? You know, um, I think, and the players st- sold back and bought in. You know, obviously, Sacco was great. I think Bukhari would have been brilliant if he had mm-hmm. obviously got injured, I don't know, just getting out of bed. Um. But then, obviously, Dean Saunders that year, for me, that was just shocking. I mean, he was just so out of his depth and the football was dreadful. The signings were dreadful. Um, so, yeah, Kenny Jockey, I think we, we forget, don't we, just what a job he had in his hands to detoxify the club, you know, yeah. not just with some of the players that he had, but also just with the fans. Because I think as a fan base, we were just totally, you know... We, I can't think of the word really, but I think we, you know, there needed to be, um, you know, he, he had to try and get us back on side. Um, the
1: relationship had broken down, hadn't it? I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. But I, I love the way that we did it. I mean, obviously, we spent money, but we didn't spend vast sums of money. You know, we bought in Kevin MacDonald, who, you know, was brilliant. I just remember watching him that season, and he never gave the ball away. You know he, he. You know he was he was brilliant. Um, obviously Scott Goldborn was good. Um, then he bought Dico in January, and that kind of gave us that impetus we needed. Um, but I, like I said before, just the fact he trusted the young players, which was something Saunders wasn't really doing at the time. I remember Saunders bought Bath in for a game, and then just took him back out again, which seemed a bit you know annoying. But Jackie bought. I keep saying BAFTA, I know it's Bart, isn't it? <laughs> he brought he bought, he bought Bart in, he, Doherty was there, um, like I say, just and Jack Price as well, um, just to give the youth a chance, and that, and that, like you say, just set a precedent, really.
1: It's, yeah, I mean, we we, we could probably spend a deep dive on the south-back and saunders here, and, and we, we did a little <laughs> bit of that when we, we did the live show, but... It's, it's a really interesting part in 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 our in our history um, essentially and i've had different conversations about so and i personally thought he, he was a decent fit it was just timing and i've listened to a few of the podcasts where some of the players of that era have probably been a little bit defensive and said you know what he tried to introduce wasn't right for the championship and so forth but we started really well and then yeah he, and then the 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 thing is, my comparison with Solback and Saunders is Solback, and whether we liked it or not, you could see there was a clear system and a way of playing. But with Saunders and what you referenced there, it was kind of like, here's the names in a hat, right? i will throw them up in the air, and that's your starting eleven. And and you know,
0: yeah, I think oh. with Saunders, it, it, Saunders, I think was trying to get back to the kick and rush style, yeah. you know. So like Solback was trying to introduce something quite a bit more cultured. And then we sold back and always said, oh, I want free transfer windows to more my squad. And I think he just about got one, didn't he? So who knows what could have happened if he'd have been given the time. But obviously the results weren't there. Um, but like you say, we saw him, I think, you know, we tried to go back to an old kind of more direct style. And it just wasn't working, really.
1: No. Um, well, what we'll do is um, after, after um, this very short break, uh, we're going to have a look into um, really where Sam's music, as we referenced at the start, um, linked up very well with his following of wolves as well, right after this. So, Sam, in terms of um, yourself as, as a musician, we referenced it at the start of the, the podcast and we've talked a little bit about your wolf story. Now, I think this is amazing. So talk us through the time you were asked to perform on the pitch.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, there's a guy who used to run kind of the Saturday media stuff. Uh, You know, he was on the pitch, stuff called Jason Forrest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember going back to when I first formed the band. um, My dad said to me, oh, it'd be great if you could get your music played at the Molyneux." And obviously like yeah but it would but I mean what the chance of that happening is slim. But somehow my dad got Jason's email address. I'm not sure how, you know, I didn't really ask. But um I I remember dropping Jason an email with a link uh, to my my, ba- my band, the monobloggers, their first record. And he really liked it. And then the next thing we knew we our music was getting played at Molyneux, so over the Tanoys at halftime before the game, stuff like that. Now at this point again, like I say, I was kind of a I was a part time pack member, I suppose, you know, I was kind of mm-hmm. feeling my way back into it. Um and I just remember um I got loads of texts off people uh, going I'm at the Molyneux I swear, I've just heard your music being played, you know, it was just such a <laughs> surreal moment. And you know you can't you just can't put a price on how and how great that is to be able to say it. music played out. I mean, at the time it was two, It was late 2009, so Spotify was still quite nascent. You know, a lot of us unsigned bands, we hadn't really picked up on it yet. We were still flogging CDs. We were still doing the old do a gig, try and flog them at the back of your car. So to then all of a sudden go from that to getting your music played out to a big stadium full of people in a Premiership game. It was just amazing. I mean, did we get any concrete fans from it? Probably not. But all I know is, all of a sudden, in the, in the local music scene, our standing accelerated really quickly from that because we were only a new band at the time. You know, we were kind of young sluggers playing a few pubs around Ashmore Park, and you know, if we were lucky, we got a gig at the Varsity. Um, so we hadn't been together that long when this happened. So all of a sudden to get played there at the Molyneux and to have a lot of different people hear it and, you know, a word of mouth spread, you know, all of a sudden overnight, we'd gone, we'd gone from these young chances that no one had heard of to all of a sudden being considered quite, you know, in a local sense, mm. a force to be reckoned with. But then, so like I said, that was the first part of it. And to get your music played, like I say, over the tannels, that was that was great, you know. But then, like I said, Jason would always say to me, well, hopefully one time if the future, if, if the opportunity arises, I'll um, get you to perform on the stage, um, on the stage, on the pitch. Um, that would, obviously, that would have been tricky at the time because I was in a four-piece band. So obviously, to get a four-piece band on at halftime, you know, it's not the Super Bowl halftime show, is it? So, <laughs> you've got 10 minutes. So trying to get four lads on just wouldn't have happened. Um but I knew, I knew, it, I knew, that people did it. You know, I'd seen people go on out onto the pitch and play, and um, so I knew there was a chance. But then it didn't happen for years later. So the Mullet bloggers first got played at the Molyneux New two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So probably throughout that season, sporadically. But then I didn't actually perform on the pitch until two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. So by this point, I was actually, I wasn't actually in a band. Um, which probably probably helped me get the opportunity to do it. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my music at that point. You know, I was I was tempted to go solo then, um, but I wasn't too sure. And again, I was kind of writing songs, but I didn't have anything concrete there. And and Jason said to me, "Oh, you know, Wolves are playing Peterborough this Saturday. I think it was the Friday. So I think it was like Walls playing tomorrow." Um, do you want to come and play on the pitch? And obviously I was like, are you you know, are you serious? Um, so, like I say, I remember I got there um, really early. And at first I played in the foyer as a little bit of a warm-up. And, you, you know, it was all right. No one was really listening, which is fair enough. Um, but, um, yeah, I, um, I just remember walking out onto the pitch and just obviously... You, you just get that rush of adrenaline and that, you know, it takes you back, you know, when you just mm. walk out. I mean, obviously when I walked out, it's not like when the players walk out, no one was like cheering, you know what I mean? But just even so, just the, the sheer amount of people, I mean, I always say, I, I, I don't want it to say I'm boastful, but not many people can say they've played in front of 24 25,000 yeah. people. Yeah. How many of how many of those 25,000 were listening? I don't know, <laughs> but to be able to say to be able to to be given that opportunity was amazing. So I'm always eternally grateful, that a golly, and um, like I say, it's something that I'll always think back to. in, in fact, the other day, I, uh, I reactivated my Facebook to promote the new record, and I was looking through old pictures, and uh, one of my mates who I used to play, I used to play every Sunday uh, with. Um, he took a picture, like a, it was like a crude zoomed-in shot of me on the pitch. <laughs> but I was like, that's, "That's the evidence there." And I always look back at that picture. And even then, you can see the South Bank behind it, and just the sheer amount of people. And, I mean, I remember I did a song called "Nod My Head." Now Jason loved this song, and the mm-hmm. monoblock—it was the monoblockers' his most famous song. You know, for those listening and not watching, I just—I just did inverted colours on the famous. But people used to like that song. and um, But I'd written the new song and I said to Jason, he said to me, okay, what song are you going to do? And I said, I've written the new song. I think I might play And then Wolves were tuned up at this point. Mm. And I, he said, what's the song called? And I said, it's called Throw It All Away. <laughs> and and uh, Jason just looked at me and I think Dave, you know, Wolves fan cast, a yeah. uh, Dave was in the room. And they kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, I don't think you should play that one if for winning. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jason just went, Well, he didn't nod my head. You know, I like that one, you know it. So, I went out and did it. And I remember, unfortunately, there was some problems with the mic on the guitar. So, it kept cutting out. Hmm. So, I was going a cappella at some point. So, <laughs> I didn't you know. I mean, I was just, I was, I was in my world of my own. Yeah. Um, but, like I say, a few people said, I Oh, it was a shame about your guitar. And I was like, What do you mean? I thought I played it well. And I was like, no, you Mike. <laughs> um, so that was a bit gutting. But um, you know what? I don't even think about that. I don't even think about the fact that, oh, I wish the mic had worked. Um, you know, I, I just think back to just getting that opportunity. And uh, my mum and my sister came and watched. Uh, I mean, my sister was probably about four, five at the time. So she weren't really interested. But uh, I think I put a shout out to some of my mates and I said, oh, you know, this afternoon I'm playing at the Molyneux. They was like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, I am. And I didn't think any of them had made it. And then I was walking off the pitch and I, I walked past the South Bank and then two of my mates were literally just right there. And they just shouted at me and I was there. So that was nice as well that my mates got to see it too. Um, but yeah, honestly, just such an amazing experience. Um, and it's one that, you know, when people ask me about music, I inevitably will get, to, I inevitably bring it up. But yeah, just, just a great experience. And I mean, People always say to me, "Oh, weren't you nervous? You know, sure. You know, surely you were really scared." And but I, the only thing that ever scares me about gigs is whether there's going to be anyone to watch. Like I don't, I never really get nervous about playing, which is I suppose weird for a musician. I think if there's a crowd there, it's going to make me good because i will just feed off that energy. So that was what made it even better for me. I just wasn't. I, I was the right amount of nervous, you know. I wasn't cocky or anything, but I um. You know i just went out just really excited um so yeah i'd love to do it again but i don't think it's going to happen but just to just to be able to say i've done it once was 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 a great experience and my car didn't get broken into this time <laughs> <laughs> you never know and, I, and yeah i think you've took me back to a time where and
1: i think it was probably because jason was in, in charge of the match day sort of experience at that time as you say there was a lot of bands um there was a lot of local bands um like, you might remember the band band called the Rubicons and the Lines with some local yeah band around that time that um I, don't know, I had some friends in and and they got their their time as well and yeah it, it is kind of a, a strange one in terms of such a big you know twenty five thirty thousand people and there's you and your guitar but it's on your CV and it's it's there you have played the volume, you, you
0: know and, and yeah well to me you know, like I say at that that at that point i was very like i say i was fully back as a Wolves fan so it, it was like headlining glass to for me yeah i mean you know you just couldn't put into words i mean just to be able to stand on the pitch was amazing you know but to to go and play it was like i say it just just a once-in-a-lifetime experience
1: brilliant brilliant um and, and in terms for yourself um sam as, as I ask everybody on, on this, what does it mean to you to to be part of the pack? What what does being a Wolves fan and 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 being local? What does that mean to you? And and does that take an extra significant, or has it taken an extra significant when you've had the opportunity to perhaps play music outside the area as well? Do you kind of see yourself as an ambassador for the club in in or or the town in that sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean. Um whether Wolves would want me as an ambassador I don't know but <laughs> I, I think as I've gotten older yeah I'm so much more proud to be where I'm from and proud to support Wolves and um, whenever I've geeked I always have a Wolves shirt on my arm um, yeah it's, I think for me being part of Wolves, what makes being a Wolves fan interesting is that it's never boring I mean like I mentioned to you before we started rolling that um, the only time that I've felt kind of deflated was the 2015-16 season, and that was because he committed the cardinal sin that he bored me. Mm. You know, if we just coasted. But that's, I think, you know, like I said, the best thing about being in the pack is that it's like being on a roller coaster. You know, you have your downs. It's like life, I guess. You have your downs. You have your ups. But you know, you know that when there's you know, troubling periods, dark periods, periods of uncertainty, you know that, you know, there's going to be good times coming. And um, that's just what makes it interesting. I mean, any football fan loves their club unconditionally and wouldn't say a bad word about them. But I think from the outside looking in, I think I look at other clubs, I won't say any clubs, but you know, you look at some clubs where they're kind of set in one place, aren't they? They're not really, they're not going for promotion, sometimes they're just trying to stay in a league or, you know, they're just kind of mid-table every season. I just think I'm so glad we Wolves that, you know, every season is just different. There's always a challenge, there's always a desire and energy and it's just always fun and I think that's that's what makes part of being a Wolves fan so fulfilling, really. But, yeah, like I say, over the years, I remember I actually worked with Robbie Dennison before um, I worked with him and his wife Denise so that was quite a, a cool experience um, and he got me Steve Ball's autograph so that was quite nice I, I, he never gave me his own I didn't ask for it but I didn't ask for Steve Ball so I thought he just came in one day and went oh I got this for you so, but he's he a really nice guy as well um, really down to earth so that, that was quite cool to work with, with him who obviously had quite, quite a wolf pedigree and I mean I've, I've met Steve Ball a couple of times uh, as have a lot of people I mean, um, my one friend, I don't know if I should say this because he might, he might not go on, but for some reason he just doesn't like Steve Ball. Um, he's never met him, but for some reason he just, he just hates Steve Ball. I mean, he hates everyone. I mean, he, make, he, make, he makes Jack D look like a, a boyscape leader. He's just <laughs> oh, he's, he's proper miserable, but for some reason he, he just doesn't like Steve Ball. And um, Steve Ball actually does personalised phone calls, Mm. I, I think you have to pay 30 quid, but like if it's someone's birthday and me and my mates, we're not going to do it now, but what we were going to do, we were going to have a whip round, um, get Steve Ball to call one of our phones when we were with this lad and then go, Oh, it's your girlfriend. It's urgent. She's called me. And then when he gets the phone and it's Steve Ball, just sees <laughs> his face. But um, in terms of music, I, I think it gives you yeah, an instant connection to people, random, just random people. I mean, there's been times when I've geeked, and um, it's just a conversation starts straight away. And I've met yeah. some Wolves fans that I wouldn't have known were Wolves fans, mm. and you just it just puts you at ease. I think, um, you know, I, I suppose that's the same for every football fan. But I think mm. as a, as a musician, yeah, I, I am. I never used to really talk about it that much on stage and stuff. But now I'm, I, I am like I say, a fervent. Uh, um, you know, supporter on, on stage of walls. And I always proudly say that I'm a fan. And um, yeah, like I say, I think um, it's just never dull and it's an honour, really. It's an honour to support them and it's an honour to, 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 you know, when I play on stage, it's an honour. And when I did my, um, when I did my last gig, which was that 10 year anniversary one, I actually had a, I had like a, an old gold guitar, which is totally coincidental. But I had a wolf sticker on that, uh, so I, you know there's some pictures of me on stage with the wolf's head proudly emblazoned. I mean, there's one music promoter who's an avid West Brom fan, so I, I swear he never used to book me <laughs> because he knew I was a Wolves fan. So there's downsides, but um, I think yeah, I think I just think it's great because talking about football just puts you, puts people at ease. I think for me, like I'm quite a shy person. So when you're in the music industry, I know I'm not properly in it full-time, but I'm kind of in it. Um, Just talking about football, just instantly there's a connection there. You know, if you know someone's a football fan, you can go, oh, so what about that resort at the weekend? you know what I mean? And then if they've signed a player from you, you know, um, it just instantly, there's a rapport there and it just makes gigs so much easier. You know, straight away you've made a mate just from talking about Wolves or talking about football. Um, and it just it it helps break the ice because a lot of musicians I think are a bit shy you know quite an introverted bunch you know so the topic of football is just one that you can instantly latch on to and
1: I I think I was just thinking there as you're talking um you know, you're in a steam company. You know, uh, with with Walls fans and musicians. You know, Robert Plant, Beverly <laughs> yes. Knights, some big names there. But I also was thinking when you mentioned Glastonbury, that iconic Walls flag as well. That's always at Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah Lester Glastow, yeah. Wolf, yeah. I think. You know, I believe he's been to uh, pretty much every Glastonbury. So I'll give him a shout out because on Twitter. If you follow him as well, and he's, he, there's a fantastic story about his story at Glastonbury where. People have kind of met around the flag because, as people know, seeing Glastonbury over the years, that's part of Glastonbury, isn't it? That walls
0: fan, yeah. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. It's the first thing. I mean, as a Wolves fan, it's the first thing I see when the, the pyramid stage comes up. But again, it's like I remember when I when I worked in London, I used to have to go to Switzerland a lot because they had they had like a, a branch there. And I remember being there, and there were some people who had like English parents or English grandparents. And again, they'd be like, you're from Wolverhampton. Oh, you're a Wolves fan. Just instantly, that was the first thing they'd ask. And straight away, that was it. We'd get talking about it. Like one guy was, was like, oh, my granddad was a Wolves fan and he used to go to the games. And you know what I mean? Just straight away, just totally random. You're, you're in another country. You've you never met these people. But people just know Wolves, I think. Whenever I say I'm from Wolverhampton, bang, first thing, you're a Wolves fan. A... You you're
1: right, and it's it's synonymous, and and I may have mentioned this on a, on a previous um uh, part. So apologies if I have. But you know when I when I went backpacking, I had a similar story whereby I'd gone from Sydney to Melbourne, and and Sydney to yourself, I was although it's it is a big thing to do backpacking on on your own. I, I can be quite shy, you know, particularly in new situations, and. I wasn't sure if I should have left Sydney to Melbourne because I'd left some good friends. It took me a while to settle. And I remember just being at the bar, had my walls top on, and I was thinking, oh God, have I made the right decision here? And I was get, I was pretty down, I was really homesick, and this Spurs fan um, you know, came over to me and it was Robbie Keane, Wolves, and that was in, and and yeah. then from that point on I had an amazing time. Now, would he have come over to me and spoke to a random guy at the bar if there was no ice to be broken, if there was no common denominator? Probably not. So yeah. I got that to fang for having a great time, you know, millions of miles away, the other side of the world, because I was a football fan. And I think that's what you're referencing. That's what he unites us all and you know we we have had people listen to this series who aren't Wolves fans and that fascinates me because I think they can still relate to the fact that whilst different clubs have different stories the whole idea of being a fan and part of a pack or part of following a club is yeah that you can meet people that you wouldn't ordinarily do and 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 it can be quite life-changing at times because it opens you up to circles which you may not have been
0: afforded because you know you've you're a fan?
1: Um. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, my, my sister's 12 and she just can't understand it. So, me and my brother mm-hmm. will be watching the games, hooked, you know. And she's just like, I just don't understand what the appeal is, you know, some men kicking the ball about bit. And I just said to her, you know, it's just so much more than that. It's it's the emotion, it's the unpredictability, it's the, it's the kinships you form, you know. It's, it's, it's a life choice, <laughs> you know. What I mean, you know. But, it is. And, 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 and... Well, that's why I love, I'm, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, that's why I love sport. Yeah. You know, I love sport because it's just the unpredictability of it, you know, it's what makes life fun. Absolutely. Um, and on that, we're,
1: we're going to bring this episode to a close. Um, I want to thank Sam so much for joining us on this episode. Um, I want to thank, again, everybody who listens to what we do, everybody that comes on this podcast to be fully transparent. They do it of their own free time. Nobody gets paid for it. I don't get paid for it. Nobody's Nobody gets paid for it. So if you do want to support us, I'm not get my begging bowl out here, but all I would say is share what we do, promote it, don't you know don't make us a stranger if you like what we do tell a friend if you don't tell them still because they might like it and give us a five-star review and we really do appreciate your support Uh, but before i close this episode with sam sam do you want to just tell people in terms of the best way to follow you online perhaps in terms of the music i'll put the links out there and we'll be closing the audio podcast with your latest single which is when love ain't enough which is out on the 6th of november but if people want to know more about you, where's the best place you'd say to look?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you type in Sam Lambeth on Spotify, I should be the first one that comes up. Uh, but if not, I'm on Facebook. So it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Sam Lambeth music or one word. Uh, same for Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram, again, just Sam Lambeth. So any of those links, um, like I say, i regularly update with news about music and things like that. So, yeah, please follow me. Like I say, for me, this is start of a new journey, kind of starting from scratch. And so I'm really hoping to just get some people on board with me from the beginning.
1: Brilliant. Well, we wish you the best with that journey. And um, to everybody listening, um, stay safe and we'll see you soon.
2: Strong again, from a lover back to a friend. I just want this pain to end. It's getting out of to pretend that I'm hurting. Yeah, guess what, baby, I'm hurting, and all this pain, well, I've earned it. Yet I don't think I deserve it When love ain't enough Feel it cursing through my veins When love ain't enough No, I'll never, never be the same Didn't quite go as planned Started life as the other man Competing just to hold your hand Ended up in no man's land And I'm hurting Yeah, guess what, baby, I'm hurting And all this pain, well, I've earned it Yet I don't think I deserve it, deserve it When love ain't enough Feel it coursing through my veins When love ain't enough No, I'll never, never be the same